0: Shalom, welcome, Baruchim Habaim, to Awakening, Torah Musar Mindfulness.
1: I am Rabbi Hasio Uriel Steinbauer, the founder and director of the Institute for Holiness. And you are joining us on Sunday, July 23rd, 2023, at 7.30 p.m. Israeli time, 12.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 9.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Wherever you're joining us from across the world, welcome. It's a delight to have you. We, of course, will be looking at the Torah portion, the Sidra, from yesterday on Shabbat, the Jewish Sabbath of July 22nd, which was the third of the month, the Hebrew month of Av, in the year Tavshin Pei Gimel of uh, 5783. Delighted to have you to jump into this. So um, before we begin, we always share our Kavanot, our intentions for today's session. So if you are watching uh, by video, uh, live stream on YouTube or from our blog or any of the other social media outlets, Uh, you will be able to see the covenant, the intention soon on the screen, if you have vision. For those of you who either don't have vision or will be listening to the podcast or the audio file, um, I will read them out loud and you will hear our intentions. We use the same intentions, the same covenant every week. May we merit them. So we say... We see this act, this 45 minutes that we spent together as an act of radical self-care in order to be a benefit to others. So we say, I am doing this right now. I am learning and practicing Musar mindfulness with Rabbi Chasia here from the Institute for Holiness, Kihilat Musar Mindfulness. I am learning and practicing Musar mindfulness in order to strengthen my own soul in order to be a benefit to others in the future. This is so true. This is my daily intention, my daily kavanah. We're also doing this uh, not only for our own radical self-care, but for of for others. We say this is something I'm doing to strengthen my relationship to others so I can be a better conduit of God's good to others when they need me. And finally, we say we're also doing this 45 minutes together called Awakening Torah Musar Mindfulness to strengthen our relationship, excuse me, with the divine. However, we define that relationship and however we define divine. So this is something we say that we're doing to strengthen our relationship with the creator of all beings so that we can be a better conduit of God's good to others when they need us. So there are our three intentions, our three Kavanot for today. It's a delight to share those with you and may we merit fulfilling them today. Um, It's a great honor to be here today. It is difficult for many people in our community, uh, starting from Rosh Chodesh, the new moon of Tammuz, moving through the fast of the 17th of Tammuz into the three weeks If you don't know what any of these terms mean, feel free to Google them from a trusted Jewish source. Um, We can look on Safari or um, My Jewish Learning or um, um, whatever source that you trust most. most. Uh, And then we move into from the Rosh Chodesh, the new moon of Av, which we just had a couple of days ago. Um we move into what are called the nine days where we're preparing for our morning rituals, our national morning for the khurman, for the um, destruction of the temple. But it's so much more than that. And that will happen on Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av. And so if you had felt, uh, the way I would like to word it is you just feel out of sorts. Things are not uh, meeting exactly, we call it like a bit of a disequilibrium. Um, I find this every beginning of Tammuz all the way through to past Yom Kippur. So uh, that's what's going on. Uh, in addition to the heat and the humidity in the Northern hemisphere, along with everything with the challenges of global warming that, uh, or climate change that we're all confronting. So, uh, I just want to honor if that's your experience, because that's where we are right now. We're in the middle of this. And when I said it's so much more than the loss of the temple, you had to realize that basically how we Jews had lived with the temple in the land was completely different than what happened afterwards. There was a whole new Judaism that formed, Rabbinic Judaism, that was already beginning to develop. But this was a game changer when we uh, were colonized by the romans and our temple destroyed and we were kidnapped and brought to rome and other lands it basically uh, caused uh, massive trauma onto generation after generation and having to have us sort through and form a new way of relating to God uh, and of service to God because the avodah, the service that was in the temple uh, was no longer possible. So uh, when I say I'm mourning on Tisha B'Av, I'm not mourning um, the physical building of the Beit Dash of the temple, although that has its own set of um, projections, right? Because I, I wasn't there. I can't know um it's more than I'm mourning what happened to our people and a full understanding of what that caused and set into motion for the next 2000 years in the diaspora. And um, it's only recently with us returning to our ancestral land that I'm uh, really beginning to appreciate and understand more and more with God's grace that loss. Um, so and uh, with that, we move into a, a new book of the five books of Moshe, the five books in the Homash in the Hebrew Bible. We move into Dvarim. Dvarim is known as Deuteronomy in English. And that's going to give you a little background of it and a summary of our Torah portion before we hone in on what we're going to pay attention to today. So uh, Deuteronomy has two Hebrew names. The popular name, obviously, Sefer Devarim, is short for essentially a longer name, which is Sefer Eleha Hadavarim, um, the book of these are the words, right? And it's named on our ancient practice of naming books after the key opening phrase. So the second name is actually Mishneh Torah, uh, the repetition of the Torah. And uh, this ap- appears frequently in rabbinic literature. Um, came to be known obviously from the Latin Vulgate and then to English and to Deuteronomy. And uh, it, that name actually stems from a misunderstanding of Deuteronomy in chapter 17, verse 18, uh, where the phrase first appears, but actually means a copy of the teaching. So um, it's uh, nevertheless, it's an apt distinction for the book and uh, it really recapitulates the teachings from Genesis Bereshit through Numbers, through Bamibar. So in Deuteronomy and Varim, it regularly refers to itself as this teaching, right? Sefer HaTorah Hazot, this book of teaching, right? And or Sefer HaTorah Hazay, and it seems to use um, use this often. Uh, the even the uh, teaching of the Moshe of Moshe, right? Torah of Moshe. So um, Dvarim, like the rest of the Torah, was copied with extreme care, and it's actually the text uh, among, uh, its text is actually among the best preserved in the whole Hebrew Bible. Um, so uh, we, we we believe the Masoretic text is based on manuscripts from the 9th and 10th centuries, and then themselves based on older manuscripts. So Um, that's a a general background of uh, the book itself. I'll say a little bit more about what teaching means. Let me tell you a little
0: bit of summary just of this Parsha. So it's in the 40th year of wandering
1: in the Midbar in the wilderness, right, for our ancestors. And uh Ben Israel, our ancestors are almost ready to enter Eretz Israel <speaking in Hebrew> Amen. Mm.
0: And um Moshe gives a long speech.
1: Uh, it's actually so long that um they say it goes on for 37 days. Why not 40? That's a whole other discussion. And uh, he reminds the people of their journey after leaving Har Sinai now, to remind people of their journey that they actually didn't take. What do I mean by that? These are the children who were under age 20, who are the ones that get to enter the land. So maybe some of them took that journey, but definitely not from Egypt. um, And uh, probably not even from Harsinai. So it, it really was their parents and their grandparents. And so but Moshe, you'll notice here in this in Devarim, speaks to them as if as if they were there. We'll keep that in mind, okay? So Moshe recalls how he needed help to lead Bnei Israel. This is a this is a beautiful key moment here, and uh, how he appointed judges to govern the people with him. And Moshe reminds our ancestors, the children of Israel, of the episode of the Ragalim. Now you may think to yourself. Why would he remind them of the spies and the negative report? Why not, for instance, if you're going to come up with a bad, like a bad episode, right? <laughs> Unpleasant, judgmental, right? Have judgment line. You think you would choose the golden calf, but this, the spies loomed much more uh, for Moshe than the golden calf, most likely because it involves the consequence and punishment of Moshe himself. So Uh, We'll hold on to that. So the spies obviously gave a negative report about the land, about Israel, uh, which essentially is is giving a negative report about God. Because if you criticize the land that God is giving you, you're criticizing God. So B'nai Israel lost faith and they were punished. No one from that generation besides Kalev and Yehoshua would enter the land. God tells Moshe that B'nai Israel, our ancestors, should not fight against Seir the descendants of Esav, nor should they fight against Moab and Ammon, the descendants of Lot, the wonderful nephew of Avraham Avinu, our patriarch and ancestor, Abraham. So B'nai Israel actually defeat the armies of Sihon and uh, Og. Their land actually east of the Yarden of the Jordan River is given to the tribes of Reuven, Reuven, of God, and half of Menashe, Moshe reminds these tribes that they must cross into Eretz Israel and fight with the rest of Bene Israel before settling there, okay? So that's a generalized summary that I want, um, that I want to start with. Um, I'm gonna briefly teach you about uh, Devarim and this teaching. And then we're going to move into what I want to focus on today because we obviously have to pick something. There's there's too much to cover. So um, this teaching, right? We get this a lot. Mosey undertook to expound this teaching. It's HaTorah Hazot. This um, instruction would have been better to convey the wide range of meaning, right? Expressed by Torah. And it basically expresses... Um, from hora right, to teach and instruct. It involves civil and ritual procedure, prophetic teaching, reproof, uh, so much more, didactic narrative, moral exhortation, and uh, Moshe frequently
0: refers to uh, Dvarim as this Torah. And um, that, that basically it connotes both law instruction that must be taught, studied, and pondered,
1: And it's expected to shape character, attitudes, and conducts for those who see. So it's really wisdom literature. It's really where uh, we hone in on the
0: path, the path towards holiness, right? And um, later, and obviously later times, the term Torah
1: itself, right, was applied to the whole entire. uh, Hebrew Bible, uh, particularly the five books of the teaching or instructions par excellence, right? So, um, but it really began with Deuteronomy, with the
0: Vahrehim. Okay, so what are we going to focus on today? First, we're going to focus on, um, I think something very humbling and brave that Moshe does is that he admits to the people that he could not bear the burden of them alone. That's not a small thing. It's not a small thing for the national leader
1: of millions of people to stand in front of them before his death and say, I could not bear the burden of you alone. I had to ask for help. I had to instruct and find wise, discerning people back then, men to lead with me. Okay, why is that significant, right? He says, he even says in the language here, how can I bear alone? I cannot bear the burden of you by myself. How can I bear alone the trouble of you, your burden, your bickering, right? He said instead, he helped pick people who are wise, right? The very language here, Viyudim, right? Knowledgeable, insightful, having mindfulness, wise, and 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 obviously with wisdom, knowledge. Uh, that's what we said in in knowledge, right? That which, it's a certain type of knowledge. It's a knowing, and that knowing is uh, from the verb yada. It has a real strong history throughout the whole Torah. It's someone who not only knows God, knows God through the fear of God, because that's what that's what religion meant in the Torah. Uh, before the teaching, uh, one knew one believed in God or had a relationship with God when they feared God, right It meant that, that that fear meant that it was going to expect certain behavior of them. One just didn't think about it or it was emotion a thought it was it uh, it required a response of behavior indeed, okay so he selected um, selected these leaders. Now, why is this significant? As I told you, um, that burden at first before he assigned leadership was wearing him out. He ended up asking for help twice. First, when his father-in-law, his non-Jewish father-in-law gave him the wisdom to assign essentially just judges. To preside over the people by ten thousand, thousand, hundreds, tens, whatever onward, and, and then he sought out help later on other leaders who would help kind of um, carry the people with him, right, leading them to their to their destination. Um, and so this is very significant. And and why why I think it's very significant is that it's. Um, it's preparing us for what comes next, right? Uh, when, when the leader um, admits that he needed support and that it's going to be those who are wise and discerning and experienced, right? Capable men who feared God. This is coming from Exodus when he asked earlier, right? Uh, Shemot, chapter 18, verse 21. Um and Yitro re- re- recommended seven qualities in, in all, right? Uh, basically trustworthy men who spurn ill-gotten gain, right? That requires certain midot and certain uh, foundational behavior of what we would call wise behavior, wise speech, wise effort. um, All sorts of uh, things that should begin to ring a bell for us of the Eightfold noble path right the the eight factors of the noble eightfold path of discernment of virtue of concentration so we're beginning to see that the qualities of this leadership required uh, these leaders like moshe to um to embody them and to live them okay you can't embody them without living them and matter of fact i would say they had to have demonstrated that behavior in order for it to become part of who they were. Um, and then and, and people would be able to know that.
0: Um, so, and let me just get to where I want to share this with you. I'm getting to my notes. Thank you for your patience. Okay, so... This leads to what I want to pay attention to next, because um, what you're going to
1: find in the teachings of Torah, as we're starting to really unfold in Deuteronomy and Devarim, is not only are certain leaders or people supposed to demonstrate certain deeds that reflect um, noble and upright and wholesome and wise behavior and uh, soul traits, me dots, um, that, that also get, begins to get reflected and how we Jews over the past 2000 years of rabbinic Judaism, how we, uh, relate and speak to one another and learn from one another and learn the laws and the path of how to behave. Um, so in the text, uh, I want to get the exact right verse for you. Let's see if I have it written down here.
0: Let's see here. Let's go to this text. Thank you for your patience as I jump around. (laughs) And on my Sephora, I'm here. Okay. So in chapter one of Dvarim, Deuteronomy, in verse 16 and 17,
1: Moshe is telling that I charged your judges at the time saying Hear the causes between your brethren and judge righteously between a man and his brother and the stranger that is with him. Right? You shall not respect persons in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You should not be afraid of the face of any man, for the judgment is God's. Okay, but we want to look at this language here where he says, Hear the causes between your brothers. So he says here,
0: Shamoa ben Achechem. Okay here between. And this really captures
1: our commentators and this, com- this the, the comments that go through the generations reflect through their actual learning and sharing um, aggregates of the eight factors of the Noble Eightfold Path of discernment, virtue, and concentration Um, In particular, I will name them, they show wise discernment, they show wise speech, sometimes called right speech, right discernment, so wise or right, I'm going to use wise, wise effort, wise view, wise resolve that go into wise discernment, wise action, wise livelihood, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration. All of these are part of the path and factors evident in them. And what is the Shamoa Bane, this uh, judge and listen here between uh, the brethren, is um, pay impartial attention to both parties. But what does that mean? Let's tease that out, that how could they fall into this eightfold path and the path to- towards holiness is part of what we practice here in Musar mindfulness. So this is the gift that God and our ancestors are giving us in Devarim is this way of showing us the path and how from one pasuk, one verse, it's so profound and foundational that it is the practice, the cultivation of the teachings of this eightfold noble path, of the path for its fullness. So let me explain what I mean. So, if you're following along in Nahama Lebowitz in the study of Devarim in Deuteronomy, I'm uh, going through pages nine through twelve. Okay, and on page ten, she
0: brings in, she brings many sources to show this, but in particular, um, she brings here in, first the source from the Talmud
1: Bavli, the Babylonian Talmud, in Sanhedrin Seven B about how um, the court would, they made sure to not hear the words of one uh, litigant before his opponent opponent arrived, because that uh, might give the impression of not being impartial, right? And it might also lead the person to favor he who speaks first. Um, And so... um, basically we learn out from this that one doesn't present their case to the judge before both parties uh, are in the room together all right So um, so of course what our ancestors tease this out some more right They really want to get to this wise effort, this wise concentration, this wise discernment of how do we live out this real high, um, Mitzvah and commandment and desire to serve God by being impartial to both parties. This is so foundational to how we as Jews are to live and be in the world that it's such a larger reflection of all of our deeds that we can find right here in this pasuk. So then, what they go on to say that even if both parties are present, right, there's still a danger to be avoided in the interests of justice. So what do they mean by here? It says that the judges need to be patient and hear them out. So that's what they're teasing out. Why why does it say shamoa versus like Shema, the commandment, or Shamoah, right? Um, Shamu. it's really teasing out from how the verb is written. that, uh, That, of course, the judges need to take their time, allow everyone to bring whatever evidence they have. And pay attention to every nuance, every utterance that takes place before them. So, the word hear here means pay attention, have mindfulness, be awake and alert, right? Grasp, fully understand, right? Put in that wise effort, right? Why it's this whole wise view and wise resolve. Okay, the equal treatment uh, to be accorded to both litigants, right, is found in the word between bane, and between. And finally, one of my favorite teachers and a great, wonderful rabbinic family, originally first from Spain, Portugal, I think Spain, eh, the um, Dugo family, who ended up having to settle in Morocco because of persecution against our people in Spain in 1492. So he um, and his family, the, the, the Berdugo family, a large, huge rabbinic family, settled in Morocco, became the leaders of the Jewish people there. And so one of the family of Rabbi Moshe Berdugo, he was very pious and scholarly judge. He had a practice from learning from this verse. So he's actually cultivating this path and really wants to learn and have it inform how he's supposed to live and be as a judge the best person best judge he can be so what does he do he learns from this verse that he's going to avert his gaze from both parties because he felt if he actually even gazed and looked at one of them he was bound to get flustered and at that moment he wouldn't be able to offer impartial attention He wouldn't even be able to have, in some ways, wise concentration, wise mindfulness. Okay. And so he said that the text, hear the cause of your brethren, hear between them, right? He says it was a duty of him simply to hear and nothing more. He allowed the words of the litigants to reach his ears without differentiating between them by sight, by visual. Obviously, he was differentiating by listening. There's only so much the human can do on this path. We're not seeking perfection. There's no such thing that will only lead to suffering. We are seeking to be the best, highest version of ourselves. And so we do, we make the best with what we can. So in um, Rav uh, Berdogo's mind, uh, the Dayan, the judge, he is really uh, saying I decided to limit one, one uh, thing that would might make me partial. And that's the vision. Right. So he simply wanted to hear to let the words uh, sink in. OK, so that's what he learned from the text. It's quite beautiful. Um, and then it goes on and on, you know, taking from looking at other versions of how we're supposed to be impartial between parties, taking from Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Um, but the final thing that I want to add here is the last thing that, that I, I just love that I feel like really reflects the aggregates of the, of the eight factors of this noble eightfold path of the Dharma and Theravada Buddhism is he says here that um, what does it mean that we're not supposed to favor, right? That we're supposed to be impartial to both parties. And, you, and it, it says specifically in other verses that you should not uh, favor the poor or the mighty, uh, meaning it gets interpreted as the, the wealthy, and and you might think poor just means person with a lack of income, right? But what our ancestors tease out for that, they're like, what else could it be? Because we don't want to sin, we don't want to cause harm and suffering to others if we don't fully understand and basically uh, learn all applications possible from this pasuk, so that we can be as impartial as possible, right? This is their path towards holiness. This is, their, this is their awakening, right? This real discernment, virtue, and concentration. So they learn out from that, that actually poor here doesn't mean financially poor. It means someone who has a, a reputation before they arrived, right? It's not favorable to them. Um, meaning they're poor in their vote and their good works and their good deeds in the world. And we are not supposed to pay attention to that, right? If we're going to treat this person with impartiality, we're not going to, going to pervert the judgment of them. We are actually going to look just objectively at the basis of the facts presented to us in the present moment. And instead of basing on someone's prior behavior, right? This is so foundational to actual um. Dharma practice and in particular mindfulness, right? Where we are asked to meet every encounter, every interaction with others as completely new.
0: To not come in with that bucket of past interactions and experiences, excuse me. And see the person again with
1: beginner's mind with uh, new new eyes, um, with curiosity. And that will assist us to be in the present moment instead of basing our encounter on what narrative in the current moment we're telling about that person from a past interaction. So that's so important for uh, Dianema judges is that when they have a person standing before them who uh, has a past reputation, um, doesn't have a lot of good works before them, right? That they see this person um, for who, you know, just uh, is who they are in the present moment. And that is so profound. And I I share this with you, uh, just to give you some context of Rab Moshe um, Berdugo, as I told you, he's also known as the Mashbir. Um, His dates are 1679 to 1679. 1730 but literally there's like another son and another son and another son in the of um, the Berdougou family uh, in Morocco still to this day and even uh eretz israel um huge rabbinic family coming obviously from spain being um evicted or they were going to be killed or forced into conversion in 1492 and onward to to today so um what I love about it, what he brought and everyone else from our tradition, and I feel like reflects in general of the the beauty and the potential of this path in rabbinic Judaism and of Musar mindfulness is the teasing out of every possible angle, right? And is the practice um, putting the right effort in to be noble and to be on this noble path and this uh, path towards holiness. And it's a gift to us. It's a gift that we could find right there from one pasuk, one verse, what a blessing. So it's an honor to share that with you today. I hope you too feel um, and um, vigor from it in, uh, and Zerizut's enthusiasm to know that there's just such fine detail and laying out of that. Eightfold path for us of how we are to be on this wise path into practice, taking refuge in community uh, here at the Institute for Holiness, taking refuge in the teachings of Torah and Dharma and Musar, taking refuge uh, in our ancestors and the teachings of the tradition and here with our teachers. So uh, it's a blessing. So let's move into our mindfulness uh, meditation. Today, together to practice around this. And uh, it's really going to be a grounding meditation, which is so important for us to see the potential of this path and to be in it in the present moment. So, what I mean by grounding, grounding means that you really ground your feet and your sit bones if you're going to be in a seated posture. If you're going to be standing, then grounding your feet really strong, almost like a mountain pose. And then uh, for those of you going to be doing walking meditation, grounding the feet fully as you walk, really feeling mother earth. And for those of you that need to lie down, feel free to take any of those four postures. You will feel the grounding in every touch point on the, on the bed or the couch or the floor, wherever you're lying down. For, if you're, you're like me, you're going to ground your feet. And sit at the edge of the chair so you have an upright posture, right? Upright, but not stiff. And uh, it has this this amazing paradoxical quality of uh, being alert, but also at ease.
0: And uh, what's so important in this practice is learning how to pause, breathe. Having that space between the stimuli and our response, and then being able to ask those most profound wise questions. What is needed right now in this moment? What is an appropriate response from me? So we're gonna move into that together. So please assume your posture, really rooting your feet into the ground, feeling the weight, the kavod, right? Coming from heavy kath, that dalet, right? This
1: really weightedness, which is a certain seriousness of respect and honor. And it's sitting here. And we begin with three deep cleansing breaths. You may close your eyes. If you have vision, you feel comfortable. Inhalation, inviting
0: presence. And Exhalation. This time, raising your shoulders, inhalation and exhalation, letting it all go.
1: (sighs) Inviting that joy of arriving to this present moment, the ease, the comfort. And finally, inviting your full intention to gather all of you here, right here, right now, with me here in this shared sacred space on Zoom or. and our YouTube
0: channel, wherever you're checking in today. Inhalation and exhalation. Now fully arriving. Letting your breath settle to its own healthy, natural rhythm. No need to force or control anything. Ah, really with kindness and wakefulness learning how to resource ourselves and practice embodying a sense of intention on this journey together. Allow your intention, invite your intention and intention to come into the domain of the body. Allow your attention to meet the landscape of sensations of your body sitting, the body breathing. This practice can be used all week and even outside of meditation, formal meditation practice giving full attention to the sensations of grounding, being held by the earth. Contact with whatever you're sitting on. This practice
1: of touching the earth, as it is called in the tradition of the Dharma,
0: means really lingering, lingering here right now together with the steadying sensations of contact with your feet to the floor, with the seat, if you're lying down with all the touch points there, this grounding really has this beautiful potential and joy to bring us to the full present moment, to the gift of being alive, It's a support, a foundation for our practice. And as I said, whether we're
1: engaged in formal meditation practice, as we are right now, on the zafu, on the
0: cushion, or in the midst of daily life, we bring a certain kavod and honor of uprightness. We're all created in the image and likeness of the divine really receiving the sensations of contact and appreciating them. The spine arises in this grounding. Sense the spine belonging, embodying a sense of wakefulness and connection to the present moment. Grounded and upright, restful and awake. This two orientations of the path support this spacious sensitivity to the body, holding the body in a spacious and friendly awareness. Let the climate of the mind be one of kindness, of chesed, loving kindness, of metta, one that allows and breathes, however things are in the body, however things are in the mind. Allow your awareness of this moment to embody, to be really oriented to grounding, to wakefulness, to friendliness. A friendly allowing. Breathing with the experience of the moments. And indeed, that's what I believe our ancestor Moshe is doing in his 37 days
1: of his final speeches. Before he gathers to the ancestors, he is breathing with the experience of the moments. It is reflected in his words as he shared that he had to learn not only to breathe with the moment, but carry
0: the burden, to bear the burden with others, not alone. Setting our intention, recalling how we do this to be
1: in radical self-care and care of others, and fostering a relationship with the divine, our three kava at the beginning of this practice.
0: Really strengthening that threefold relationship to life and the path. Bringing those intentions to mind.
1: Seeing if we can engage with those intentions as an act of Kindness
0: an act of chesed to ourselves, to others, to the divine, right? For those who share their lives with us.
1: Engage in this practice right now is really a commitment to embodying the midot and cultivation of this path through kindness, appreciation rachamim,
0: compassion, self-compassion, and minokhata nefesh, this abiding equanimity. Seeking to bring these midot, these soul traits, more fully into the world, more fully into our experience and our relationships. So we dedicate our practice as a gift of kindness, of metta to ourselves, to all living beings, to Hashem, to God. I spend the next moments, the next minutes in silence before I ring the bells. Your eyes were shut slowly and gently open them to join us on this sacred Zoom screen or on the YouTube channel, wherever you're joining us today. Give a
1: bow to yourself and to God and to your community to practice together. So grateful for today to enter this New book, Devarim of Deuteronomy. I believe that we are on the 40th sitting together. I could be wrong. I I think I'm correct. (laughs) Isn't it funny that I don't know my exact numbers? Let's look here. And let's pull this up and see if we can see. Yes, we are on 40. And that's actually quite a miracle because uh, that means we're on the 40th. Parsha, like a sidra of sharing every Shabbat, and it reflects really the forty years in the Midbar, in the wilderness, uh, the forty days that Moshe went up and down to receive the serata Hadibrot, the ten utterances, and the forty d- days that the Me-ra- 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 Meraglim, the spies, were uh, uh, visiting the Eretz Israel, the land of Canaan at the time. Forty is this kind of really. Um, a righteous and, and important number in the tradition, so uh, it's a it's a it's a day for us. May, may it be so that we merit uh, fulfilling our covenant, our intentions, and uh, may this teaching today in our practice together really feed you and nourish you to practice during the week and to join me next week. The Zvot Hashem where we will jump into next week's Parsha, which is um, the, I think it's the, yes. Uh, So please do, if you have time to read that, uh, read some of the Parsha name, the commentators, (coughs) excuse me. And um, yeah, uh, we'll be able to learn, engage uh, together please consider offering uh, donations to the Institute for Holiness for this public offering and for everything that we do. You love the work that I bring and offer to the community, to the world. And um, you're always welcome to be in touch with sponsoring one of the awakening sessions in memory of someone or in honor of someone. And uh, may it be so. So I want to wish all of you an easy fast if you are fasting coming up on Wednesday evening to Thursday evening for Tisha Ba'av. For those of you who are not fasting or don't observe necessarily, um, may you take this time to reflect uh, what uh, this time and date means uh, for people who went through such great trauma uh, and still have that intergenerational and transgenerational trauma past. On and so many more uh, unfortunate episodes throughout Europe for the past 2000 years, as everyone is uh, well clear, but there's so much more that a lot of people don't know before the Holocaust, before the Shoah. I mentioned one of them in 1492 in Spain, when the Jews were uh, basically exiled from Spain and they were given the option to force conversion or to die or leave. So here you have the family, the great Mishpachat and, and um, so it, it's important to reflect um, what this means and, and, and how we can not only be aware of the trauma, but where's the resilience in all of this. And to use our path of Musar mindfulness uh, and the Noble Eightfold Path to uh, really strengthen all of us. To not only bring less harm and suffering into the world, but the the actual opposite, the positive, right? Which is bring God's good to others in the world. So God bless you. Take care. I will see you on the other side
0: of Tisha Ba, God willing. Take care.